0: You're listening to the God-Centered Mom Podcast with me, Heather McFadden. As the mom to four young boys, I know motherhood's hard, but sometimes I think I make it even harder than it needs to be. I'll worry about my needs being met or I'll spend so much energy trying to make my boys happy that I forget that if I would take my eyes off me and my eyes off my kids and keep my eyes on God, that those desires would grow strangely dim and their contentment would go up As I'm led by His Spirit, I also forget that I'm surrounded by God. He is going before me in places that I'm fearful of. He is walking with me on the hard days, and He's coming behind me, redeeming any mistake I made. So each week, I'll interview a new guest and we'll discuss what it means to be a God centered mom. Thanks for listening. listening to episode 57 of the God Center Mom podcast. Today, we're chatting with Amy Julia Becker. Uh, I, quote unquote, met Amy Julia through a common friend, uh, Francie Winslow. And I'm so glad she introduced us because I really loved chatting with her about her motherhood journey. And it kind of it reflected a lot of uh, the same spiritual transformation I had experienced, even though our details are very different. Uh, including the fact that Amy Julia's firstborn within hours after her birth was diagnosed with Down syndrome. You'll hear a little bit more about the humbling that went along with that and what she learned um, that I think we'll all learn when you hear it um, about seeing God's image in our children and the beautiful lessons she's learned since. She's also sharing with us some thoughts from her new book, Small Talk, and I love that that conversation kind of led us into Um, a chat about a season of faithlessness that Amy Julia went through um, and what kind of brought her out of that. If you have moved recently to a new community or you're finding yourself in a place without hope, without faith, um, disconnected from God, uh, I think that you will be really encouraged with what she has to share today. And lastly, I asked Amy Julia if she would be willing, and she said yes. So she is giving away one copy of her book, small talk so if you leave a comment on the blog or a review over at iTunes um, you will be entered to win a copy of her book. So go head over to godcentermom.com or over to iTunes to be entered to win. All right so without further ado, here we go. Hey Amy Julia welcome to the God Center Mom podcast. Hi Heather it's great to be with you and it's so fun to get to meet you through a common friend Francie. Who was on the show, I think she was like my second interview. Oh, fun. I haven't heard
1: that one. That's great.
0: Yeah, she is awesome. So any friend of Francie is a friend of mine.
1: (laughs) Well, thank you. I feel the same
0: way. Well, and as I'm getting to know you, I'm going to ask you questions just like we're meeting. So tell me about yourself, where you live, your family, kids, Yeah,
1: so we live in Western Connecticut in a very little town called Washington um, with 3,000 people. (sighs) It is currently very cold and icy up here, and um, I have three children, uh, Penny, who is nine, William is six, and Marilee is about to turn four, Um, and my husband works at a boarding school. That's what brought us to Connecticut um, is his job. Um, Yeah, so that's us. What does he do at a boarding school? He's actually the head of the school, the headmaster. Um, so he was a teacher and a coach and a dorm parent at a school called Lawrenceville for about nine years. Um, and now we are at a smaller um, co-ed boarding school, ninth through 12th grade, uh, 300 students. And he, um, he runs the place. That's awesome. There's a lot of families here in Dallas
0: who send their kids to boarding school for high school. I was, you know,
1: we do actually have some, um, well, I know them as Texas kids. I probably don't <laughs> know which city they're actually from, I'm sorry to admit.
0: Well, I remember because um, our public school, like, it ended in third grade, so I, I was doing the research and going to the private school fairs, and wow. I just kind of assumed every private school there was, like, right in town. And I looked at this one and had gorgeous pictures of these hills and trees. And I was like, right. where is this in Dallas? And uh, I looked a little closer. and It was on the East Coast, for sure. Yeah, There you go. So, yeah. I was like, well, he's only going to kindergarten, but maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. Very, very cool. Okay. So when I was kind of researching, stalking Amy Julia, once we connected, yeah. um, I looked at your, uh, your site and you send me your book and you fit right in with this community. So welcome. The, uh, the, the type Aers. I can say it cause you've said it, said it about yourself. For sure. Yeah. Um, perfectionists, um, who have tried to do it our way, the best way, be all the people. And, uh, then we have kids and we have to kind of let go of that. Yeah. Yeah. That's so you're, You're humbling because I used to ask every mom on the show, like, what was your most humbling moment or a humbling moment? And I kind of got away from that. But I think it fits with your story. So what was your first humbling moment as a mom?
1: Well, my first humbling moment certainly was – well, actually, it was probably just experiencing pregnancy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if it was humbling or humiliating, but that was humbling. yeah, they gotta go hand in hand, yeah, but I think what actually counts um so two hours after our daughter, Penny was born, she was diagnosed with Down syndrome, mm. and that I didn't realize how much I had carried into the hospital with me a set of expectations mm. about who our daughter would be, mm. and with those words that she had Down syndrome, those expectations were swept away, and so I felt so helpless um in thinking about what it meant to be her mom and it was so many questions and fears and doubts about myself and about her and um certainly in time those were addressed you know some in, in some very practical ways and in other just spiritual and um you know kind of emotional ways but that was it was very humbling to feel so inadequate and helpless um to parent her but then i also found um we, my other two children are typically developing. And with William in particular, um, the thing that was very, very humbling with him was that he just was not a happy baby. Mm. So Penny had been emotionally, I was really humbled um, by having her in my life and all the questions that she provoked. With William, it was just physically exhausting. I mean, he just cried all the time and he yeah. didn't want to sleep. And so there was this other sense of, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, I have a kid with special needs. I've done it. I'm doing great. Like I've kind of gotten back up on my little high horse. And then I had this kid who just like kicked me right off it again to a place of, again, feeling very helpless. But um, I guess with Penny, I felt like it was kind of justified to be mm, helpless. Like, right? Right. Lots. Of, everyone acknowledged that, yes, this was an unusual situation and it was going to be hard. Um, with William, it was kind of, yeah, like par for the course. Sometimes kids cry a lot and they don't sleep very much. And that's just what, you know, no one was bringing me a baked chicken six months in, but right. um, I was still feeling the need for that kind of help. So that was very humbling as well. And then of course the humbling moments only continue, um, you know, as they grow and develop into their own wonderful and sometimes exasperating little selves.
0: And and the combination, right, of the siblings Absolutely. and having three yes, and yes, all indeed. the needs of how am I meeting the needs of this many people? It's right. impossible. I can't. So here you go, God. I have to admit, I literally cannot get a cup of water and change a diaper and do homework at the exact same time. Like I right. <laughs> literally can't um well it's interesting i'm gonna go back to you know your the birth story of penny and and you know so many people are getting testing ahead of time and finding out ahead of time if their child has down syndrome or not Mm -hmm. and um i I have a a cousin who um i mean it's a a beyond a tragic story she lost a child they decided Mm. to get pregnant again uh, and got pregnant with twins beyond excited one of the twins is diagnosed at birth with down syndrome Mm. and it just feels like god where are you in this because the the shock of you know there's like you said exactly my expectation yeah. was this right. and if even if the expectation is something different uh, you know I for moms who aren't even pregnant at all my expectation was I would try and immediately get pregnant right and god where are you when i don't get what i want so in that moment of you know you didn't have the preparation of the pregnancy Like some people do, right? To get your heart ready. Um, You pictured in your mind. Did you know girl or boy even?
1: We knew. Yes, we did know we were having a girl. Yeah. So I did have a very strong picture of her, um, actually, based upon the fact that I was the firstborn to Mm. my parents. And so I didn't, again, I didn't know that that's what I had brought in with me, but I had been asking my mom stories about when I was a little girl. And so I very much carried those expectations in. And mm-hmm. placed them on Penny. And not only did she have Down syndrome, she also had black hair and I had blonde <laughs> hair. And she, you know, there were plenty of differences. Yeah. She had blue eyes and I, you know, was not born with blue eyes and all these things. But um, it did feel like uh, I had this image of a child um, that was stripped away as soon as she was born. Um, and then over time, on the one hand, certainly, I think part of being a parent is recognizing what it means to um, not try to create your children in your own image, but to see the way that the image of God is formed in them, right? Mm. And like to call that forth for them. Mm. Um, So in some ways it was such a gift that she was so not the image of who we expected her to be Mm. because it enabled us to turn to God and say, okay, so who are you in her? Mm. Because we trust that every human being is made and created in the image of God as like flawed and broken as we all are. That, that nevertheless is there. And what does it mean for us as parents to, again, like try to call that forth? Um And yet there also have been some things that have just been funny because I thought the fact she has Down syndrome means she's going to be so different from me. Um And one thing in particular I thought would be different was um her kind of intellectual ability and particularly um ability to read. I'm a mm-hmm. big reader and always have been. And it's just funny because Penny Literally is the kid who almost every day I have to be like, will you please put the book away? That's it is time point. to whatever it is. So there have been some ways in which I, you know, I said, oh, I have to let go of all of my expectations for her. And maybe I did. And yet some of the things that I had expected have actually been given back to me yes. um, in her anyway, because she's my kid. And, yeah. um, and that's been really fun.
0: Yeah, because I, I, I don't know if you know that I'm a licensed speech language pathologist. So I've oh, worked I worked with know that. Yeah, yeah I worked with a variety of disabilities and and there is a little bit of a gift when your child physically displays that they have a, dis, a, a difference because mm. I I've been working with parents before where their child maybe is deaf or maybe is mm-hmm. autistic and um, they don't get like you said the chicken at six months when the child doesn't right and right. and they you know, had the child's born look typical, right, in their mind. Right. And the yes. slow death of the person. Yes, yes. Versus the rediscovery of the awesome, you know, like you're discovering and penny all these awesome gifts. They, they were losing gifts. And so I mm-hmm. think that it was, you know, it is God's grace that you were able to just hand over Empty slate. Here's Penny. Not all of that. I want her to be, even for kids, you know, without disabilities, we do this. Oh, they're going to be the rock star football player or the, the, you know, whatever the A student. And you start saying, Oh, they're not so good at math. (laughs) They're going to be like, it's, it's a gift to be able to just at birth say, you know what, God, blank slate, show me you in your image and what you have for them. And then it's like opening a little surprise every day. Um, that's yeah, a really that great message. Very that, that well you know.
1: describes my experience with her. And thankfully, I mean, I've often said I feel like disability is a magnifying glass mm. that shines upon our common humanity because mm. the same has been true with William and Merrilee. Just it's not as pronounced. Right. But, right. you know, similarly, where I'm like, "What? why aren't you playing soccer? I thought you were going to want to play soccer. You know <laughs> yes. Like, Okay, but he loves the piano, and I didn't expect that. Like yes. you know, just little things, but where it's very good to have been primed for that. Um, that my job is not to decide who they're going to be, but to um, enable. Yeah, got like kind of God's spirit in them to come come out in whoever He's created them to be.
0: I think that's a great message for anyone listening who's mm-hmm. you know maybe discovered a little disappointment in who their child's turning out to be, and and just kind of um, releasing that. Right. Um, is a really good message for anyone, anyone listening. And I I am amazed, like in your your newest book, Small Talk, some of the conversations you're having with Penny, I'm like, her language is amazing. (laughs) You know, from the speech language pathologist who I've had kids with apraxia and Down syndrome, so they can't even formulate their musculature. Mm, And then it's a weak musculature. It's like, Right. Compounding problems. So um, it was such a joy to read your sweet conversations. And then my mom's and writer side of me was
1: like, how does she remember this? <laughs> I'll have those conversations in the car and then it's
0: gone. So I
1: will say my kids are used to me being like okay, is it okay if I write down what you just said? (laughs) And sometimes they're like, no, it's not. We're going to keep talking. Uh, But I'm often just like putting something into my phone or jotting it down on a piece of paper because I am just trying to hold on to some of those moments, um, both for our sake and also because I do think um, God can use those conversations that we have with our kids uh, to do so much more in us, and in my case, since I am writing about it a lot of the time, hopefully um, for other people as well.
0: Well, and I think the important lesson—I um, know I just kind of mentioned it quickly—but your newest book is called Small Talk. Mm. But the the lesson, you know, for me and just reading a portion of it was, okay, I am so distracted. 95% of the time, mm. either dealing with the needs of one right. or on my phone or whatever it is, doing a task that I'm not stopping long enough to, to listen to these precious questions or, mm-hmm. or they just know to stop talking. Like right. if I'm on the phone or I'm, you know, driving that used to, I used to be in the car was a good time for talking mm-hmm. and I just suddenly realized they aren't doing that anymore. Right, so it was kind of a wake up call for me,, mm. and <clears> two, <throat> you know, pay attention,
1: yeah, I do think, I mean, and I'm certainly as guilty as any other mom of being distracted, um and yet I think we can try to build in, as you said, whether it's time in the car or whether you have the opportunity for a family dinner or a breakfast. I mean, you know, I know some families are like, yeah, there's no way we're doing dinner together, but we're doing breakfast or, um, we're going to have, um, even just like some period of time to take a walk on the weekends. I mean, they're so, it doesn't even have to be like, I'm present to my children all the time whenever they're around. I Mm -hmm. mean, I don't think that really serves them well either, honestly, but, um, but at the same time, making sure that there are some times where you are present. And it doesn't mean, oh my gosh, they're going to be such profound moments every single time <laughs> we have dinner as a family. Yeah. Um. But at the same time, I think it kind of, it's similar to like a prayer life, right? Like if you are praying consistently, it doesn't mean you're going to hear from God every day, mm-hmm. but it kind of opens you up, or even necessarily during that prayer time, but it opens you up to when you do hear from him in whatever form it takes. And I think similarly with our kids, if we are like consistently giving them opportunities to ask their questions and to talk to us, then it opens us up to actually hear when that question comes um, that might be kind of taking the conversation to another level. And sometimes that's just important for them to know that they're heard. But at least in my case, sometimes it's important for me as far as like, what God is doing through their questions in my own life, not just yeah. for them. I mean, I think at least half of small talk is like things that I have learned. And right. that not necessarily they've taught me in the sense that they're like sitting around. You know, passing on yes. Exactly. Like great lessons to their mom. It's more just that the way they see the world and the questions they have. And sometimes my inability to answer those questions has been what's pushed me to a deeper place um, and to a deeper recognition of the, kind of basic truth about, um, beauty or love or kindness or forgiveness, all these kind of basic things we try to teach our kids about, but have a lot to learn about ourselves as well.
0: Well, I I don't remember who said it, but somebody amazing said that (laughs) theology should be able, if it's good theology, you should be able to teach it to a child. Mm -hmm. So I think even like those questions, it does, it forces you to, what do I really believe about this? Where does that come from? You know, Where's the truth in this that I have based my life on? Yep. Um, I, I teach preschool, Sunday school, and I find the same to be true like having to take yeah. a story and, and make it um, tangible for children. Yep. I'm amazed one, what they can grasp mm-hmm. that we sometimes over water down, and yep. two, just like it's God is not complex, we sometimes over complicate our view of Him. So,
1: absolutely. No, I totally agree. Um, and, and that's, uh, just, just the other day, Marilee, who's about to turn four, was asking me about soldiers and war because they were mm. singing some song that brought up soldiers. And so we ended up having this conversation about nine eleven. And I'm like, how am I talking to my three-year-old about this? And then she was asking, like, why did those men do that? And, mm. you know, it's like, okay, how do I say this simply and in a way that is true and honest, but doesn't over simplify or over complicate. And Mm. I finally said, you know, Marilyn, each of us have evil in our hearts and each of us has good in our hearts. And for the good to come out, we need to know God and we need to let God be doing that in us, you know? And Mm -hmm. that was kind of where the conversation progressed from there. But um, again, it was one of those moments of like, Okay, how do I explain this in a way that is simple enough and yet true enough um, to have integrity? And it taught me something just to have to put it in those in those simple terms.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. And sometimes I'm amazed, like when the, my boys hear about evil, getting on the evil topic, Yeah, how their immediate response is to lash out. Well, I mm. would kill those guys. And, and, yeah. and I'm like, whoa, right, whoa, right. whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so that's just evil for evil. And God <laughs> right, isn't really right. for that either. Yeah. Um you know, so we got to c- overcome evil with good and just kind of, I think it requires me to be in the word and to have words to say. And mm. it's, it's a lot of work <laughs> sometimes <laughs> to be the mom who's like speaking truth and being in those conversations. So, That's um, true. yeah, thank you for writing, for writing it. And, um,
1: oh,
0: thank you. and like what advice, like if someone reads that book, what do you hope they get out of it? From reading?
1: It. I think, I guess there are two things. The first thing I hope people get out of it is just an encouragement that we can bumble through our lives as parents, that there really is this faithful presence that God wants to be um, blessing our families, even when we're not doing it right. Like there's a chapter in the book called God, and it's about this year in my life when I was um really faithless. Um, I did not pray very often. I did not. I was angry at God. We were in the midst of a move, and it was just this year of like discontentment in Mm. my life. And Mm. I um, like drank a lot of wine and ate a lot of nachos. It's kind (laughs) of how I think of that year. And it's like, oh. Um, And what at the same time, my kids wanted me to sing church songs to them as their songs going to bed at night. So every night, Not because I was in some like pious, I'm trying to teach my kids anything mode, but just because that's what they wanted, I would sing these songs. And there was a sense in which like God so faithfully carried us through that year Mm. in the midst of my faithlessness, you know? And Mm. that is my first hope for the book is that people would be encouraged in the midst of yelling at their children and then having to like ask for forgiveness um, and go back to that place of knowing that we have a gracious God and a faithful God when we are not gracious and when we are not faithful. Um, And I guess the second thing would be though, to recognize the fact that um, in all of this time that I felt like I was being unraveled in my um, being a mom that, you know, I just couldn't hold my spiritual life together. And church was just hard because we had these squirmy people in the pews who just were Tugging for my attention all the time. And prayer was hard because I was tired and I was, you know, resentful and all these things. Um, And plenty of other things in life were hard too to feel like I could keep any sort of professional life going and, you know, to ever get any exercise or time with friends or whatever. All these things seemed to be unraveling. And yet, when I look at the longer arc of the last nine years of being a mom, what I see, and this is the way the book is structured, um, is that for a long time, I was trying to hold on to an image of myself Mm. uh, as who I had to be, right? Like put together and crafty and (laughs) nurturing and professional, you know, all these things. And then I had this season of just of letting go, which I think, we think of in positive terms, like, oh, it's so great you let go. For me, it just felt like I literally was like, okay, I I can't even deal with this. And I'm just letting it all like spill out on the floor and be a total mess. Mm. And I'm walking away because I can't even handle it. And then finally coming to a place of real surrender before the Lord and seeing the way in which all of that was growing me up Mm. um, into someone, I hope, who has learned something about graciousness, about faithfulness, and about love. So that's the longer kind of narrative or arc of the book is um, that story of motherhood and parenthood as a spiritual journey um, and a time of of potential um, personal transformation, you know, for good.
0: Awesome. I love it. It just, it, it just goes with everything I've experienced. I'm sure moms totally can relate to that. And, you know, I kind of want to go back to that season you were talking about of the unfaith, the nachos and the wine, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the nachos and the wine. And, you know, if someone's in that place, they're listening yeah. They're like, that is so me. Oh, we can barely get to church where the kids are always sick. I don't even want to, if we could, what helped get you out of that place?
1: I mean, spring definitely helped. <laughs> the the, <way laughs> the seasonal doing. affective disorder of yeah. the the North. Yeah, I, mean, and I, truly, I actually really do think sometimes the circumstances do really matter. And yeah. um, trying to pay attention to what is contributing on a, like a just a circumstantial level can be actually like a helpful thing. Mm-hmm. And being a little bit realistic about like, I just had these goals for myself that I wasn't living up to. And it was like, was well, it really realistic in the year that you've like moved with your three small children to a new town to be expecting that you would, you know, work out every day? No. Yeah. And so give yourself some grace. So there was some of that. Um, and then again, there was some of just like, what does it mean to trust that God is faithful even when I am not? I mean that just, cause I think for so much of my life, I've felt like it's more of an if then, like if I do what I'm supposed to do for God, then he will be faithful to me, um, which is sure, that's true. But if I don't do what I'm supposed to do, will Mm -hmm. God still be faithful? Yes. And that, I think, um, was the biggest lesson I had for that year. Um, With that said, I also had a friend at the end of that year who said to me, she's like, you know, if you can't change things on your own, that is a great opportunity to look to ask for help, right? Like there's Mm -hmm. just a sense in which we often get stuck in these places and these patterns, you know, of nachos and wine or whatever, you know, (laughs) ice cream and movies or whatever it happens to be for you. Um, And if you can't change it yourself, I mean, that is so much of what it means to be um, human and for Christians to be a part of the body of Christ is that like we are meant to be vulnerable and needy and to ask one another for help. Um, And so that, was part of it for me. was also just like telling some friends this Mm -hmm. and, you know, in this case, Christian friends, here's where I am and I need you to pray for me and I need you to look in on my life and help me get out of this place because I don't like it and I don't Mm -hmm. think it's good for me or my kids. So that was also very helpful um, in that process.
0: Well, and I think like you talk about moving, you know, I've moved a lot of times and and Mm -hmm. the
1: hardest part of that is you don't have that community built
0: in yet that knows you and knows that you're being different. Totally, they don't know you well enough to say, yeah. "Wow, Amy Julia is not acting like herself. She's eating a right. lot of nachos and not working <laughs> out. <laughs> her her, she, her mental health is a little bit different." So, I think that is a hard part if anyone's listening is move, which is kind of our society yeah. now. We're so transient that
1: Absolutely.
0: I think we lose that, um, that that centering of community that um, I think even happens when you have three to four kids. I mean, we kind of jumped out of it for you know years because it was mm-hmm. just too hard to get together with other families when our group took up so much space. It's hard to even meet people at a restaurant or go to someone's house when you're constantly breaking up sibling and friend fights from kids. And, um, so I think, you know, even like you said, realizing in this circumstance, maybe I need to reach out to friends from my hometown or family or, you know, make a time to go on a retreat with some friends that I do know for some centering. Um, and, and, like I always found if I found a good church in the new town and I could get plugged in somewhere, then things got better. Yeah. Definitely. No, I,
1: that, that certainly helps. And I think, I mean, I think for, going back to your initial question, there's just a humbling that comes mm-hmm. yeah. anytime we need help. And yet there's also such blessing that comes in that place as well, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's such a sense in, that um, when we are, brought low, that's when we're exalted, right? Like there's just the pattern of the gospel that we live out in those hard times. Um, and even in the very small suffering of, you know, moving to a new place or whatever, there's a sense in which, um, God is very active and present in that, especially in wanting to help us, as you said, like get connected to a new community, to um, reach out to old community, to help that make that happen and make that possible. Um, And that was certainly true for me.
0: Well, kind of going back to our original topic of, you know, having a child with disability that can be isolating from community. Um, Did you find a support network or have you like found friends that understand where you're coming from or? How have you handled that as far as friendships go?
1: You know, when Penny was first born, we lived in uh, Princeton, New Jersey, in that area. And Uh um, we did find, as it happened, five other families within like a five-mile radius from our home who had a young child with Down syndrome. And Mm so that group of moms got together every – once a month on a Friday morning and we brought our kids and we were able to share doctor stories and therapist stories and school stories eventually. And, um, although we've moved, I'm still in close touch with a number of those moms and we still kind of look to each other for support and, um, even get together in person, uh, you know, a couple times a year. So I'm very, very grateful for that. I think it was in those initial days that, and years that I really needed that kind of support. Yeah. I now try to offer that kind of support. Like earlier this week, um, there's a mom with a two-year-old now, but since we've moved here, um, you know, over the past two years, we've gotten together, you know, about once a month just to, um, for me to hopefully just be an encouragement to her, to show her, yeah, I've got a nine-year-old and she's doing great. You know, you can see kind of have a, a, have a vision of the future for your child. Um, but I don't have as much of that like local support in part because I haven't sought it out because the support we, need now is more on just the general family side. So like church school community is enough because the disability aspect of our lives just is not front and center in the way that it was when we were, um, starting out with Penny.
0: Yeah. It sounds like, sounds like she's doing well, if she's, you know, reading books and yeah, is she in a, uh,
1: yeah, you know, I mean, she's, mainstreamed, I guess, the old, what do they call it, an integrated classroom? In anyway, yes. Regardless, she is in a typical third-grade classroom. She gets pulled out with two other students for math because she's about a year behind. Like, she's basically doing second-grade math, more or less. Um, but as far as her reading levels, she gets some support, um, when she's working on like reading and writing projects, but she's expected to do the same work as her peers. Um, and she actually, it was this year, she is a really good speller because mm-hmm. she reads so much and, um, just enjoys it. So she was in, she was her class representative for their school spelling bee, which How was awesome. really fun. And, um, she definitely has friends and is really beloved in her school community and and um, yeah, kind of fits fits right in, and, and I'm incredibly grateful for that. That was um, certainly an answer to prayer yeah. and a lot of you know mom fears along the yeah. way. Um, I've, I've been very grateful.
0: Yeah, that's it's huge to find a school where there's good a good group of people and yeah. a good system in place. Um, that's awesome. Well, you yeah. know what? It has been so good to talk with you, Amy Julia. I think. You have so many nuggets in here. I've scribbled down a lot of notes. Mm -hmm. Um, So if anybody needs to find more notes of what we talked about, um, go to GodCenteredMom.com for this podcast. And, okay, Amy, Julie, I know you write in a lot of places online, but where are a couple? And I'll put links to those, too.
1: Oh, sure. Well, my website is amyjuliabecker.com. It will kind of include um, information about the books I've written and trailers and videos and that kind of things, as well as articles um, I've written. Uh, and then my primary blogging opportunity is for Christianity Today. Um, and the easiest way to get that is from the website, but it's also if you um, go to christianitytoday.com, it's backslash Amy Julia Becker, um to get to my blog on their site um and then i write for a variety of other um online publications you know as it as it happens just um, as little uh, opportunities arise right. yeah, yeah exactly.
0: mm-hmm. i got it i got it we'll I'll try to find a couple and put links to those um in the show notes too but uh, thank you so much for being on the show and y'all um i i know you were blessed by her words so keep following amy julia thanks thanks
1: heather all right
0: bye-bye. bye 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 I hope you enjoyed this episode of the God-Centered Mom podcast. If you're looking for more resources on how to replace me with he, go to GodCenteredMom.com. That's where you'll also find show notes with any links mentioned by our guest. I want you to really understand and know that God is just as present while you are washing dishes at your kitchen sink as while you are worshiping him in a church pew. He sees your service to your family and he is pleased.